We're continuing our series in the letter of James, the book of James, and we're looking at the idea, the fact, the truth that the Lord is coming back. And throughout this series, it's a seven-week series, we're challenging and encouraging everyone to read through the book of James. So on Monday, you'd read James 1, on Tuesday, James 2, on Wednesday, James 3, and so forth. And then on the weekend, so the following weekend, we challenge everyone to read uh, uh, next, uh, sat Friday, next Saturday and Sunday, Proverbs 7 and 8. Uh, this Saturday and Sunday, I think we encourage everyone to read Proverbs 5 and 6, because a lot of James was influenced by the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, as well as Proverbs 1 to 9. So, so uh, if you've been doing well with the reading plan, amazing, keep it up. If you've been like, ah, you know, you, you, some days you're good, some days you're not, like a couple, couple of tips for you. One, set a reminder on your phone, write a reminder on your refrigerator or your mirror in your bathroom because you're going to see it all the time. Uh, another one is um, listen to the Bible while, while you're in your car. You have the Bible app. There's thousands of Bible apps. They're free. And you could just push play so you don't have to read and drive at the same time. That's not recommended. But you could listen to the Bible while you're reading, and uh, maybe your stress level will go down and your connection with the Lord will go up. That's the goal. So these are just tips to keep reading. And that's what we want to do in seven weeks. Imagine this. Seven weeks, we've read the letter of James seven times. Is that pretty cool? Yeah, so, so if you need to catch up, if you feel like you want to catch up, do that, or just start fresh today and, and move on from there. And, um, and wherever you are, it's never too late to start. I love saying that because that's the amazing part of, of God. It's never too late to, to start. So in the previous weeks, James had strong words against two groups. One, he had strong words against these rich oppressors that were just, you know, oppressing their employees and pushing them down and not paying them. He had strong words against them. He also had strong words against people who were grumbling and complaining. And we talked about that a little bit last week where the grumbling and complaining was like a constant. It was complaining about this, arguing about that, bickering about this. And they were known to be complainers. And, 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 and the, the, the way the, the, um, the, the verb is for this, for this word, it was, it was an ongoing complaining, ongoing grumbling. And James doesn't, doesn't pull back any punches. He says, knock it off. Knock it off. And, and so then we come to our passage, and James has a different tone when it comes to our passage. In fact, James promises us that, the, that the, these oppressors uh, would be punished, that, that, that the oppressed would have to uh, wait on God rather than take matters violently into their own hands because the oppressed were getting so fed up, they were ready to go on a revolt. But here's the main point here of, of this idea, and, 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 and you could write this down if you want, but this did not mean that they could not speak out against injustice. It simply spoke against violence and personally hostile speech as an, as an appropriate solution to injustice. So why is this chapter important, these, these selection of verses important? Number one, it's important because I hope that everyone will be comforted through the words of James empowered by God the Holy Spirit. Number two, be comforted in the fact that God will bring justice. 
to, the, to, to those who have been oppressed. And find hope in the fact that Jesus will return. And, and, and also we'll find hope in these passages that God is with us in our pain, in our suffering, in our, in our hurts. That God is with us. So there's a lot in these verses here. So let's start with talking about patience and endurance in James chapter 5, verses 7 to 11. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the, far, the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So James changes his tones here from, from addressing the oppressors, from saying, you oppress. Or last week, we, he uses this, this, this strong word of you adulterers. Because he was telling these believers that you have turned away from the Lord and you have like spiritually cheated on the Lord. And then he has this strong language in the last two weeks. They're very strong language. But now he comes back to the greeting of brothers and sisters. You see this compassion part coming out in James. This love for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he appeals to his brothers. He says to them, his, his brothers and sisters, he says, be patient. And he defined the essence of patience in this, these verses, and he gives some examples. And verses 7 to 9, he says, be patient then, as, as James, as he knows, that the coming judgment would come upon the oppressors. And the, the word be patient, you can think of it as, a, as you know, setting a long timer. Or... Being patient is thinking of the long term. Sometimes what happens is we focus on our current situation and we don't lift our eyes up to the cross and realize that Jesus is coming back. That's not to minimize the situation that we're in, but it's to remember that no matter what we're going through, the eternal hope that we have is Jesus. And so the patient part is realizing that Jesus is coming back. So let's lift our eyes out of our situation and onto the cross because Jesus is coming back. So when we talk about patient, we're talking about having a long fuse. We're talking about that there are brighter days ahead. And the essence of patience is, is, is seen in the farmer who waits patiently for the needed rains. And so what does a farmer do? The farmer preps everything. He preps his crops, he preps his field. He does everything that he could do in his power to ensure that when it rains, that his crop will, will, will grow and then there will be a great harvest. But there's one thing he can't do. The farmer can't predict when the rain's going to come. But he has to be patient. And he has to do his due diligence, be patient on the rain to come. And, and harvest here becomes an image of the day of judgment in, in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. 
And so the application for us in verse 8 is this. Just like the farmer, every believer should be patient and stand firm. I'll say that again. Just like the farmer, every believer should be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Just like the farmer, every believer should be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And so because the Lord's coming is near, that should stimulate every believer to be patient and to persevere. And in verse 9, James called out for the believers to stop groaning. He calls out for the believers to stop complaining. He says the judge is standing at the door. Remember the two groups he talks about? Get the rich oppressors here, oppressing the, those who work for them. And then you remember the group over here? The, the, these are the people who are always complaining and griping about whatever the situation was. He's speaking out against both groups. He's saying they both have missed the boat. Because if the Lord is coming, and if our eternal hope is that we're going to be with Jesus forever, he's telling these, these complainers and these, 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 these men and women who are always grumbling about something that you've missed the whole point of how wonderful Jesus is. Because if we complain about everything here on earth, we're missing the great hope that we have in Jesus that there's going to be no more pain or suffering. And what he's saying is let's get our eyes off of ourselves. And let's focus on the cross. What a great application for you and I. Because we all have moments. We all have moments when life is unfair. Or we all have moments where we blow up at a situation where we realize, I probably shouldn't have done that. And then we have moments, sometimes we have more moments than we wish to admit, where we're complaining about something. And when that happens... Our eyes get further away from the return of Christ, and we're not being patient about Jesus, and not being patient, and we're not looking forward to what Christ has in store for us. And so, so in this view of hope, Christ's return, believers should stop the petty conflicts in which James alluded to in chapter 4. And, and as always, if you miss any of the, the, the messages, just go online to our website, communitychristian.org, and you could kind of get to the backstories of, of all of these uh, things, of all these uh, themes I'm, I'm talking about. So, so how near is the Lord's return? The believers thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. So you know what they did? Well, they didn't write a lot of things down right away. Because Jesus ascended... And everyone was like, Jesus, where are you going? And Jesus is saying, don't worry, I'm coming back. And the believers thought, all right, he's coming back. What, maybe in a year? Maybe in a month? Five years? Ten years? So they started doing ministry. They started telling people about the kingdom. They started telling people about the cross. And the message was spreading all over. But they started getting older and older. And they started realizing, we need to start writing this stuff down. So then they start writing down the life of Christ. They start writing down what Jesus did. They start writing down their missionary journeys. They start writing down these different uh, letters um, that they were writing to different churches all over the known world. And um, 
And, 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 and I'll say more about this in this series that we're creating, how the Bible was built. I, mean, I know we've talked a lot about it. I thought it would be done by now. But what we decided to do is this series of how the Bible was built, like, like how, how do we get our Bible today and why is it reliable? And why don't we have other books in the Bible, like opposed to a lot of the other ancient writings? And, and what, what makes our Bible unique and special? And how did it come to be? Um, so we're doing this entire series. All the audio is done, but we're making it fully animated. And we're going to send it out to everybody. And we love the animation idea because the animation cuts through like all age barriers as well. Because you could be a, a, a teenager, a preteen, you could be a baby boomer, you could be whatever it is. And, and, it, and, it, and it cuts across all barriers. So it's taking a little more time, but it is coming. It is coming, and, uh, and, and we hope you, you, you enjoy it. So, but back, back to when, when is the Lord's coming? So the, the early believers thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime, and they realized, well, maybe he's not. So they started writing down all these different events that Jesus did, and then they start writing accounts of what the apostles were doing, and that's basically how we got the New, the New Testament. But then there's other people. Shortly after that, even in the year 500, there was these three prominent Christian theologians who predicted Jesus would come back in the year 500 A.D. I don't know why they thought 500 A.D. Maybe they thought, hey, it's a good number. I don't know. <laughs> 500 A.D., Jesus coming back. Three prominent Christian thinkers. And then one of them uh, uh, somehow figured out the measurements of, of Noah's Ark and then did some funny math, like my type of math, because I'm horrible at math, and then all of a sudden figured out, oh, Jesus is coming back in 500 A.D. Well, they didn't. He didn't, obviously, come back in 500 A.D. Uh, one, one, one person in 1988, Edgar, uh, I think it's uh, Wisenot, he was a, a, a NASA brilliant thinker. He wrote a book in 1988. Remember this book or booklet? 1988 says, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. I mean, that's a catchy title. I mean, I want to read that book just because it's catchy. You know, it's like, all right, 2019, 2019 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 2000. Just kidding. <laughs> and so, so that didn't work out. So, so he had a part two to this book. This is true. I found it on the internet so you could trust it. <laughs> Thank you. Got the joke. All right. Appreciate that. All right. <laughs> 1989, Edgar, why is it not? Whatever it is. <laughs> he wrote part two, The Final Shout. This is book's called this, The Final Shout. The subtitle, Rapture Report, 1989. Dun, dun, dun. He predicted the world would happen in 1989. It's not 1989 anymore, right? So it didn't happen. Then more recently, in May 21st, 2011, October 21st, 2011, Harold Camping got national news. That Jesus was coming back then. I remember even, you know, thinking, oh, this is kind of like, what's going on? Is this really going to happen? Is this going to really happen? And then all of a sudden, no. But we go on and on and on. People have predicted when Jesus was going to come back time and time and time and time and time again. But I don't know why we just skip over Matthew 24, 36. Because it says, but about the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. The bottom line is Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. We don't know how. There's different views about how Jesus is coming back. But no one denies this. He is coming back. 
That's, that's the promise we have. And sometimes we, we get so caught up on these peripheral issues that we, 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 we forget the main issue, which is the cross of Christ, that he died and rose again. So, so whether Jesus is coming back in terms, you know, you got these different views of the millennium, right? That Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years. Is it a literal millennium? Is it a figurative millennium? Uh, and then you got tribulation. You got, you got seven years of tribulation. Is it, is it pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation? Is it, is it this? Is it any of that of the above? And we could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on about this, but I think we'd be missing the point of what James is saying here. Because what James is saying here, the Lord is coming back. And that we should have hope in the fact that he is coming back. And he never promises us an easy life. But when our focus is on the, risen, the resurrected Christ, the risen Christ, that puts our life into perspective. That puts our issues into perspective. Jesus never minimizes our issues. We, we never want to minimize anyone's issue. But the cross is our eternal hope. What we have right now is temporary. What is eternal is Jesus died and conquering the grave and Jesus coming back. And James is saying to everybody, keep in mind the main focus that Jesus is coming back. And so in verse 10, he talks, he writes about, you know, James reminded his readers of the prophets who endured much suffering. He says these prophets went through a lot. They suffered a lot, they, 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 you know, and, he, and, he, and, and they had patience as they spoke out in the name of the Lord. And most of the Old Testament prophets face opposition of all kinds. Read throughout the Old Testament, and they went through a lot. Now, sometimes they brought it upon themselves, especially some of the judges, like Samson. He wasn't the best example. That guy brought issues on himself. <laughs> Um, but, but, but these prophets suffered and they, in the name of the, of the Lord. And then in verse 11, uh, James says, Consider it blessed those who have persevered. The word blessed can mean happy or fortunate. Consider yourselves fortunate, those who have persevered. Then James goes on and says, Remember the example of Job. Job is the oldest piece of writing that we have in, 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 in the Bible. And, and the, the purpose of Job was probably to encourage uh, the Israelites who were under exile during this time. And, and so, so, so Job, the story of Job is that, that, that Job had everything. And then all of a sudden, things start going away. Family dies, loses his livelihood, loses his animals, loses everything. And it's just him and his wife. And then his friends come to comfort him. <laughs> and they comfort him for like, I think, three days or something. And then day four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, they, they, they keep accusing him. What did you do? Like, what sin did you commit that had all this issue going on? And they were encouraging him at first, and then they started just, you know, pounding him, you know, with questions. But, but what James is saying is that look at Job who went, lost everything, but he persevered. 
And look at the end of what he got when he persevered. He got double everything that he had. The analogy that James is using for us is this. As we persevere, as we have patience, as the Lord returns, that we will have so much more than we could ever have ever dreamed or imagined. Where, where when we are with Jesus forever, there's no more pain or tears or mourning or crying, that we are in the presence of the Creator. The creation in the presence of the Creator, that is a beautiful picture of the hope that we have. James says that's what we have to look forward to. So be patient persevere. That kind of changes our perspective a little bit, doesn't it, on the different situations we're going through in life. And again, we're not minimizing what has happened to anybody. But what James is telling his readers is, listen, keep our eyes on the cross and on the return of Jesus. So we got Job. He says, look at Job. He persevered, and look what happened in the end. He had everything. The analogy for us is that we have eternal life with Jesus forever. That is amazing. So the Lord's coming is near. We say, well, wait a minute. It's been a long time. Well, yeah, it has been. But if we think about in terms of God's timing, it really hasn't been that long. God's not bound by time. He will come back when he is ready to come back. That's the promise that we have. Then it goes into verse 12. And verse 12 is really interesting. Verse 12, uh, James chapter 5, it simply says this. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear. Not like, I'll, I'll explain in a second. All right. Not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. It was common in this day to, to swear upon the heavens, or to swear upon these gods, lowercase g's, and to say, I swear upon the God of the mount, blah, 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 that I will conquer this. That was his oath that these men and women would do. And James is saying, that's ridiculous. It's like sometimes when we say, like, um, like, I swear to, you know, that I will never do whatever it is. James is saying no. He's saying let's be men and women of such integrity that our yes is yes and our no is no. We don't need to, you know, offer these, 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 these oaths and swear on all these different things. James is saying if it's yes, it's yes. And if you say yes, guess what? Do it. If it's no... Say no and don't do it. Let's let our yes be yes and let's let our no be no. That's what James is saying here. Let's let our yes be yes and our no, no. Because these oaths back in biblical days were a verbal confirmation guaranteed by appeal to a divine witness, violation of an oath in God's name, and it broke the third commandment. So when people were like swearing these oaths, they're actually breaking the third commandment. Exodus 27, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will hold anyone, will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And so here's the idea here. The idea is probably that one should not impatiently swear. It's going to be on the screen here. The idea is probably that one should not impatiently swear. Rather, one should pray. One should pray rather than swear because the fullest form of an oath 
included a self-curse, which was like saying, may God kill me if I fail to do this. Let's get that on the screen there if we could. Uh, the idea is probably that one should not impatiently swear, rather one should pray. One should pray rather than swear because the fullest form of an oath included a self-curse, which was like saying, may God kill me if I fail to do this. Uh, maybe I don't have that slide. <laughs> but the point of all of this is may our yes be yes and may our no be no. Against anything like that, and, and we're bringing judgment upon ourselves. As the band comes, let me end on this last thought here. The most important part of Christianity, the most important part of falling for Jesus is the cross. The cross is central to everything we do. The cross is central to everything we are. Because without the cross, the Apostle Paul says, our faith is in vain. But because Jesus died and rose again, that gives eternal hope. And James is calling out these rich oppressors. He's calling out these, these men and women who are complaining and grumbling about everything under the sun. And he says, you all have missed the point. Life isn't about money. Life isn't about stuff. Life isn't about power. Life isn't about complaining. Life isn't about grumbling. Life isn't about bickering. Life isn't about whatever it is. You fill in the blank. But life is about the res resurrected Christ. Life is about the fact that we will have eternal life with Jesus forever. And when our eyes are on Jesus, everything changes. When our eyes are on the cross, everything changes because all of a sudden we realize the stuff that happens in life, our stress level that happens in life, the worries that come upon us are not that big of a deal than the cross of Christ. Because no matter what we're going through here on earth, and many of us have been through so much trauma, so much hurt. And again, I'm not minimizing that at all. But the hope that we have is that there will be a day when there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more hurt. And when our eyes are on the cross, that changes our perspective on everything. The Lord will return. Let's say that. The Lord will return. And that's the hope we have as followers of Jesus. So let's you and I live with that hope. Live that that is a real hope, that that will happen. Whether Jesus comes back in our lifetime or whether he comes back a thousand years from now, whatever the case may be, everyone thinks Jesus is coming back in their own lifetime, going way back to the Roman era. But the point is, he is coming back. The Lord will return. Let's say that again. The Lord will return. So let's you and I live as men and women, followers of Jesus, with that hope of eternal life. Amen.